I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the show. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. I'm Eli. I'm Diana. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you uh, on this uh, very cold day (laughs) where we're recording during this cold snap down Mm -hmm. in Atlanta. But y'all have heard people talking endlessly, I'm sure, about the temperature these past few days. Uh, We are here with a special episode today that's like not a Christmas story, but it's based on the guy who wrote the ultimate Christmas story, Charles Dickens, right? A a Christmas Carol. Lovely little story. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not familiar, but it's Uh, actually a ghost story. (laughs) Immortalized by the Muppets. Can't wait to watch that's, that. It's so good. It's a classic Christmas Eve movie. It's also one of the best movies ever made, ever. So <laughs> it's just that. Don't at me. But there is so much story to tell here today. So I say we get right into it. Because last time we learned about Hans Christian Andersen, the lifelong mm-hmm. virgin who, in his heartbreak, wrote some of the most classic stories of all time. You know them. The Ugly Duckling, The Snow Queen, The Princess and the Pea, The Jerk Who Didn't Love Me Back, uh, also known as The Little Mermaid. <laughs> um, but one of the most famous stories about Hans Christian Andersen 
is from the summer of 1857, when he spent five long weeks with England's most beloved author, Charles Dickens. And of course, Hans was obsessed with him. You know how Hans is. You know how you do. But like the other objects of Hans Christian Andersen's desire, Dickens thought that this guy was maybe a bit too much. (laughs) So let's hear about how Hans inserted himself into Charles's life, the extremely British drama that he was butting in on, and the scroogey reaction he got in response. Let's do it! Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Do want to throw out that... This episode was suggested to us by Arvid Gomez on Instagram at Kissakismus. Also has the distinction of being um, the very first person to ever email us oh, when we started the show. Thank you, Thanks, Arvid. Arvid. Breaking that seal. That's right. Arvid wrote, I had a small suggestion for an episode. Hans Christian Andersen, the Danish author who terrorized Charles Dickens for weeks when he invited himself in. He had a very different view of love and sexuality, too, which might be more the point of your podcast, really. Yeah. And of course... That has been the point of this episode, uh, as we've learned about Hans Christian Andersen. Now moving into two episodes, maybe even three, because there's just <laughs> so much to say about Hans and his feelings on love and sex and romance and all this stuff. So yeah. thank you so much for sending this in. Yes, a great suggestion. Yeah. We also have a listener named Randy Jensen, or at Randy Sens, um, who specifically asked for Dutch accents oh, <laughs> on our Instagram post about our last uh, Hans yeah. Christian Andersen episode. Yeah, started listening and was like, I can't wait to hear your Dutch accents. And uh, we d- decidedly did not do them in the last time because that is not an accent I'm familiar with. But now... But now, <laughs> fine. We, We're doing we it. You can YouTube thank Lundy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can thank Hunde, which is, I just learned, is her. Oh. In in Dutch. So oh, there we go. There we go. Hunde. In Dutch, in Danish. In Dutch. Dutch is the language. Danish, Danish is, is the, the people, people and the and pastry. The pastry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. There is so much more to say about Hans Christian Andersen mm-hmm. and his love life. In fact, he had so many non-lovers, mm-hmm. uh, amazing people. Uh, and we're just going to have to bring you that next week. But right now, we got to get into the reason for the season here and why the Hans Christian Andersen story fell into our lap for Christmas. So in June of 1847, Anderson went to England for the first time, and while he was attending an aristocratic party there, he met the author Charles Dickens. Now, Anderson was not at this point well known in England yet, because his stories were only just being translated into English for the first time, so nobody there had really heard much about him. But Dickens, on the other hand, was at the height of his career. Mm. A Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist, and Nicholas Nickleby had all been published already. Wow. And he was about to start releasing David Copperfield as a serial. Great. Anderson called Dickens, quote, England's now living writer whom I do love the most. There it is. There it is. (laughs) And they had a brief and respectful conversation at this party. Um, Anderson barely knew any English. but. They were both known for writing depictions of poor, underclass people who were hit hard by the Industrial Revolution, so they had plenty to sort of talk about and mime things (laughs) try (laughs) real hard. (laughs) But you know old Hans Christian Andersen. He gets intense 
fast. Mm -hmm. After this meeting with Dickens, he immediately runs back to his place and he writes a letter home to his friends and he's like, oh my God, I just met Charles Dickens. He's like everything I ever could have dreamed of. He's perfect. He's amazing. He's everything. I love this guy. (laughs) And Charles Dickens, I mean, he must have thought that Anderson was a pretty nice guy too because a few weeks after Anderson got home, Charles sent him a package of some of his books and a little personal note, which Anderson probably immediately like ran and hung this note up on the inside of his locker so that he could see it every time he went to school. Open the door. Ah, my friend, Charles Dickens. <laughs> my best friend in the whole wide world. world. <laughs> world. We're nailing it. So Anderson, of course, is like very giddy, a very childish person, as we've learned through the last episode. But Charles Dickens, in contrast, this guy is like Mr. Cool. Mm. He's super dashing and he's a bit colorful. And let's not forget that he is very, very British. (laughs) Extra British. Michelle Dean writes on therumpus.net that after nearly 10 years of Anderson writing letters to Dickens all the time, like they were now best friends in the whole wide world, quote, Dickens embraced the British tradition of passive aggression and sent what appears to have been a disingenuous invitation to Anderson to come and stay with him. Sort of a letter of like a, hello, if you're ever in the area, please stop by. I would love to see you. Mm. But Dean writes that while some say this letter was written affectionately, it, quote, was written with the kind of flourish that signals insincerity. Mm. Hey, so just some of that more British, like, I'm telling you to come. I'd love to see you. But we know that doesn't mean come see me, right? Right. A little bit of a hint, hint, or or just formality, right? Not sincere. I'm thinking about this lady who went to Iceland and she was like, by the way, if you're American and you're in Iceland, don't say what we say, which is like, hey, we should hang out sometime or see you (laughs) soon or like one of those little things that we just say offhand because they immediately go, "Okay, when? Yeah. Oh, oh, do you want to hang out again? Okay. How about tomorrow? I have some time. And you're like, oh, shit. I was just trying to be polite. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But now I got a house guest. (laughs) How are you today? Oh, well, I stopped my toe this morning Mm -hmm. and the first time. I'll ever see my mother since the day since the day she left me when I was five years old is tomorrow, and I'm a little nervous about it. And you're like, "Oh my oh, god, I, oh, I I just meant how you doing." I didn't, uh, didn't just really mean say good. How and you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just a lot of cultural differences in the communication styles there. Mm-hmm. But question based on everything that we've learned over the past hour or so about Hans Christian Andersen, do you think that he picked up on these social cues? No, of course he did not. Uh, He took this letter completely seriously, and he was so excited that he didn't even know how to respond. Right. So instead of just writing back and being like, yes, I'd love to come, Anderson announced to the press that he would be traveling back to London. Huh. And by now, he had become very well known across, like all across Europe. So this was like big news. Then he wrote to Dickens and said, I mean, I only want to come if uh, you really want me to come. I will come, I, but only if you want me to. Uh-huh. And once again, the British took over in Dickens, and he wrote back, probably through gritted teeth, Oh, yes, of course I do. Nothing would make me happier. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll see you soon, I guess. So when Anderson showed up in England for his infamous 1857 trip, he didn't really get much of a welcome. Mm. There wasn't even a carriage waiting for him at the station in Kent. He had to pay somebody to help him carry his bags and walk to Dickinson's estate, Gad's Hill. Wow. 
Now, his first night there, Anderson found his room extremely cold. And in the morning, he was offended to find no servant on staff to offer him a shave, which he explained was a common Danish custom. Like, if I'm staying at your house, you have someone there to shave me in the morning. So instead, Anderson sent off for Charles Dickens' eldest son to come do it. Which, of course, you know, the eldest son of famous author Charles Dickens being told, come shave your house guest is like, I'm sorry, the hell do you want me to do? What is this? After that, Dickens, of course, finding this extremely strange, booked Anderson a daily appointment in town with a barber. (laughs) This is where we go, sir. Yes, right. Now, Charles Dickens, for his part, he was really going through it at the time. Actually, a friend of his had just died. And Dickens had promised this guy on his deathbed that he would help out his wife and children. Mm. And so as a benefit for them, he started producing several performances of his friend Wilkie Collins' play, The Frozen Deep. And Dickens and his daughters would act in this performance. Now, at the premiere in the audience was Queen Victoria, the Prince of Prussia, the King of Belgium, (gasps) and a gangly, awkward, 52-year-old giddy children's author who had basically invited himself over. (laughs) And during the premiere, Anderson, during Charles Dickens' death scene, burst into tears. He just started bawling in the center of the audience, which, of course, to all the royal British folks around, was just extremely awkward and uncouth. Mm, Too much emotion Yes, this we do not express ourselves as such, (laughs) Mr. Anderson. I feel like as Dickens, I'd be like, I must be acting the shit out of this <laughs> right, scene. Yes. This guy is upset. <laughs> I think more he's just concerned. It's like, you're embarrassing me oh in front of the queen. <laughs> Shut your mouth, Anderson. <laughs> it's not literally not a worse person you can be embarrassing me in front of. Now, this was not the only time that Hans Christian Anderson awkwardly burst into tears. Mm. Apparently, while he was at the Dickens estate, he got word that his new novel, To Be or Not To Be, had gotten bad reviews. And this made him throw himself on the lawn and start sobbing. Jens Anderson writes in Hans Christian Andersen's biography that Hans's reactions, quote, were not the least bit charming. (laughs) No, I can imagine. It's always awkward for someone to, like, burst into tears in front of you. Right. Um, And I imagine... Especially at the Charles Dickens estate, where he's like, yeah, uh, I'm Charles Dickens. I've, I've had a share of bad reviews. Mm-hmm. This isn't how a dignified man behaves in such instances. Is there a good way to respond to a bad review, really? Yes. Okay. Uh, you what look at it? a bad review and you go, ha! Yeah, oh. right. And then you walk <laughs> okay. away. Or, honestly, if I'm being super honest, to me, a bad review is... Uh, you want to look at it, and the first thing you want to think is, can I learn something from this? Right? Mm-hmm. Do the, do they have a legitimate point? Is or yeah. even 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 if even if I'm like, well, I disagree with you. Okay, well, you're the person who has to listen to my work, mm-hmm. so I, I have to decide if you are representative of right. all listeners, mm-hmm. and I therefore should adapt. You know, because you're the ones who have to listen to it. Right. Um. Or do I say, okay, I don't. I, I am not responding to this. I don't care. Right. It's right, not right. going to affect me. Yeah. And you move on. And it stings a little, but eh, screw him. <laughs> That's how I feel okay. about the very, very, very few and absurd negative reviews we've gotten on this show. <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess that's what I mean, though. It's like there's no way to publicly yeah. react to a bad review that right. is not going to make you look kind of silly yeah. or undignified right. or like you're taking it too personally or whatever. Sure. But throwing yourself down on the ground and having a tantrum is Obviously, definitely not the, the best. worst option. <laughs> <laughs> now, one time, Hans visited the philanthropist Baroness Angela Burdett Coutts, who was one of the most wealthy women in England. And Jens writes that Hans found the servants too elegant and didn't dare ask them to put more pillows on his bed. <laughs> so instead, he asked the Baroness herself. Whoops. Which is so awkward. Because yeah. first of all, she's like, uh, that's not my fucking that's job. Literally pay people to do this. <laughs> Second of all, are you saying I'm less elegant than my servant? Know, right? Like, <laughs> what are you trying to say? Now, Charles Dickens tried to escape Hans as much as he could. And he used rehearsals for the Frozen Deep as an excuse to stay away. But the estate of Gad's Hill was his family's main house. There really wasn't much getting away mm. at all. Anderson... You know, he probably did recognize the sort of awkward tension that he was creating. And, of course, he's going to work really hard to overcome that, which, mm -hmm. again, in Victorian England is not what you do. He just th made things more awkward by trying to cut through the tension. Mm. And his obsession with Charles Dickens made everyone uncomfortable. One time at dinner, Charles held out his arm to a visiting lady sure. to escort her into the room. And Hans Christian Andersen swooped in between them and grabbed his arm for himself. And as Charles' son Henry wrote, quote, leading father triumphantly into the dining room. Oh, Lord. And Charles Dickens is like, mean muggin. <laughs> He's <laughs> definitely like looking behind his shoulder, like rolling his eyes. What the hell did he just do? Yeah. And of course, everyone is like teasing Charles Dickens for this. Right. You know, when you've got that embarrassing friend. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. But that is really just the beginning of Hans Christian Andersen's ridiculous antics at Charles Dickens' house. His awkward behavior drove Dickens absolutely nuts. But that might have been because Dickens was secretly having some marital problems in the background, and Anderson had no idea that he was making things a lot worse. Oof. So we will hear more about that right after these words. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. Woo! 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have a, one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Now, Charles Dickens had 10 children with his wife, Catherine, and they mostly did not like Hans Christian Andersen either. Mm. Probably especially that oldest son who's like, I ain't shaving another grown man. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Charles' daughter, Kate, called him, quote, a bony boar who stayed on and on. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but he did connect a little with Charles's youngest son, five-year-old Edward, who was affectionately called Plorn. Plorn. <laughs> Love it. The first night Anderson was there, Plorn told him, quote, I'll shove you out the window. Wow. Damn, <laughs> this five-year-old kid is violent. <laughs> I, I not only want you to leave, I want you to possibly hurt yourself or die. <laughs> But Anderson won him over with his silly antics. Plorn loved hearing Anderson speak in Danish um, because Hans's English was still pretty bad. It was maybe even worse than it was before the 10 years ago right. when he was at that party. <laughs> so every time Plorn heard a Danish word that kind of sounded like an English word, he would say, I understand Danish. It's just so close. Aw. Cute. I love a five-year-old being like, no, I, I, I understood that one. Yeah, right. Jens writes that later when Anderson asked if Plorn liked him, 
Plorn gave a big smile and said yes, and now he would like to shove Anderson in the window. Oh, that's <laughs> cute. <laughs> One time, Hans Christian Anderson made a big old daisy wreath and he wrapped it around the playwright Wilkie Collins' top hat without him <laughs> knowing. Wilkie was a friend of Charles Dickens. He was the one who wrote The Frozen Deep. And as they walked through town together, everybody was like pointing and laughing at Wilkie Collins. Of course, he had no idea why. And Charles Dickens' kids were kind of like, okay, that's kind of funny. We sort of like that. Like a kick me sign on yeah. the back. But Collins did get back at Anderson later, though. He wrote a short story about a famous German writer named Herr von Muff, who stayed at the home of his English colleague, Sir John. And Herr von Muff is portrayed as, quote, a sentimental cadger, a glutton, and an unhappy foreign bachelor, according to Jens Andersen's biography. Mm -hmm. So very clearly, mm. this is meant to be Hans Christian Andersen. And Colin's story says, quote, There was no harm in Herr von Muff. As for poor Sir John, he suffered more than any of us, for Herr von Muff was always trying to kiss him. Damn. So they're really just, you know, teasing Anderson about how obsessed with Charles Dickens he was. Right. You know, I don't think he ever really tried to kiss him. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a few people that are like, maybe he felt romantically about Charles Dickens, but mostly he just like idolized him and worshipped mm -hmm. him in the most annoying way. It's like a fanboy situation. Yeah. Now, Dickens also wrote letters to friends where he relentlessly teased Anderson and regularly made fun of him for being afraid of pickpocketers. Because London kind of freaked Anderson out. This is a big, bustling, cosmopolitan oh, yeah. city. Yeah. And he apparently kept all his belongings in his boots when he traveled the city, which, to be fair, is pretty funny because this included a watch, money, a train schedule, a pocketbook, <laughs> a pair of scissors, oh a pen knife. And two small books. Jeez. <laughs> like, what kind of boots are you wearing? I know his boots just like stretched out <laughs> around his legs. I always buy boots two sizes bigger <laughs> for when I go to London. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm imagining, you know, if you have a giant purse and you can't find anything, <laughs> but that's his boots. He's like, I have got some chipstick in here somewhere. <laughs> He's trying to pay for or get his train schedule. He's like, oh, no, it's the pen knife right. again. He misses three trains because he can't get the schedule out of his boot. He's got to like dump it all out in the He's middle like of the station. Mary Poppins boots he's wearing. <laughs> he's got like a reading lamp he pulls out of him. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> oh, good. A ham sandwich I made earlier. <laughs> I knew this would come in ham <laughs> I cracked myself up. But Dickens also shit on Anderson's writing abilities and mocked him for, quote, not being able to pronounce the name of his own book, The Improvisatore, in Italian. Wow. He said Anderson, quote, spoke French like Peter the Wild Boy and English like the deaf and dumb school. Yet Anderson wrote in his diary that, quote, Dickens says I speak better not only day by day, but hour by hour. That's so rude. I mean, like, Dickens out here like talking insane shit he's like writing the rudest things about him to all of his friends yeah. and then anderson is like wow when we meet up he's so friendly to me he's so nice so he's like just a real you know yes. back talking mm -hmm. piece of shit 
that's some British shit to do as well, well to be like, I'm going to be rude as fuck to you, yeah. but I'm going to hide behind my polite manners. That's why I'm being rude. It's because I can't be honest. Yeah, like, what but, is that? And especially Victorian England. We well, yeah, say, that's, what I, mean. that's what I mean. You know? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but, not, uh, not you. <laughs> right. Yes. Your ancestors. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, exactly. Where it's like he, he can't be straightforward to someone's face. That wouldn't be proper. But it's OK for me to talk mad shit about him behind his back. Right. That's if, so I don't know. Very it's, it's not like sad because, you know, Anderson expecting way more straight dealing it seems yes or needs to be told very clearly i mean you know how you feel what you're thinking because maybe he's like missing maybe you know he had some kind of autism spectrum type thing where he's like maybe. i really can't like i need a very literal person I yeah because because either way uh you know in addition to being a foreigner and having totally different customs hans christian anderson we have seen is kind of like a child right in so many ways mm -hmm. and his communication i think it reflects that and he does sort of it, it take things literally and expect you to say what you're saying yeah um so it, it, there's a, definitely a communication barrier here mm -hmm. but to be fair hans christian anderson did invite himself there to begin with and was supposed to stay for two weeks and ended up staying for five <laughs> so you know it's not like dickens <laughs> isn't rightfully pissed off at this guy true now, it's unclear exactly what brought this lengthy visit to an end. Some accounts say that Dickens finally got fed up and asked or told him to leave. Others say that Anderson just finally felt that he was unwelcome and he left in tears. Aww. In either case, he did seem to know that he hadn't been the best guest because he wrote to Dickens, quote, kindly forget the unfavorable aspect which our life together may have shown you of me. And Dickens barely responded to this in a letter where he just kind of described how the countryside had changed since Anderson left. Ah, uh, yes, since you left, the leaves have fallen off the trees and the, the, the fields are now brown. Mm -hmm. And then he never wrote or spoke to Anderson again. Ice out. Yes. Now, Dickens, in a hugely petty mood, uh -huh. had a little sign made up that he placed on the mantle of the fireplace in the guest room where Anderson had stayed. And it said, quote, Hans Anderson slept in this room for five weeks, which seemed to the family ages. <laughs> what a what a plaque. That's so rude. <laughs> Olivia Ritigliano writes on LitHub, quote, This interlude does remind us that while sometimes you can meet your heroes, maybe just don't let your fans live with you in your house. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great advice. It can be easy to blame Hans Christian Andersen for his outrageous behavior here. And like we said, he's not blameless. I mean, he did invite himself. He stayed too long. He's throwing tantrums. Mm -hmm. He's expecting things that he sh maybe shouldn't have expected. And Rutigliano also calls Andersen, quote, insensitively sensitive, which can be real frustrating. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he does seem like he's very wrapped up in his own emotions yeah. and he can't see how they affect other people, maybe. But if we look a little closer and examine Charles Dickens' own behavior, it really seems like there was a lot more going on than just a bad house guest. Jens Anderson writes in Hans's biography that, quote, The Dickens family had always represented something of a Victorian ideal that became known around the world. I mean, this guy had a serious reputation, right? right. This is Charles Dickens. He invented Christmas. <laughs> this is the guy who gave us Bob Cratchit and Oliver Twist and Nicholas Nickleby. I mean, these are pretty relatable and virtuous heroes by and large mm -hmm. and everybody saw charles dickens as mr perfect you know yeah. he was a reflection of his work but during anderson's stay there in 1857 there was actually a lot of family drama going on in the background 
things weren't so perfect after all. Hmm. You see, Charles Dickens had met his wife Catherine in 1834, and they married quickly. And for a while, they were a super happy couple. Dickens wrote during the period of their early marriage that even if he became rich and famous, he would never be as happy as he was with his wife in their small flat in Bloomsbury. Oh, Bloomsbury. Can we capture the magic again? <laughs> you know, once you leave Bloomsbury, you can never go back again. <laughs> never go back to Bloomsbury. But over the years, Charles started to resent Catherine and her lack of energy, and he found her to be an incompetent mother and housekeeper. He even blamed her for their ten children, saying he wanted to stop after four. <laughs> oh, I'm um. sorry, Dickens. Why don't you keep your dick to yourself? <laughs> if you don't want any more kids, wow, yes, do you not Charles. know how it works? <laughs> I got a, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little education for Charles Dickens mm. on how he ended up with ten kids. Okay, also her lack of energy. She had ten kids. Seriously. Like, University of York says that letters were recently discovered that suggests Dickens actually tried to bend the law to have Catherine committed to a lunatic asylum to get her out of his hair. Wow. Unbelievable move yeah. from Charles Mr. Mm -hmm. Perfect Dickens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fortunately, a doctor named Thomas Tuke found that there was no evidence that she suffered from a mental disorder. Now, Dickens was so powerful at the time that Professor John Bowen says it was really courageous of Tuke to stand up for Catherine and say, no, your wife is not insane. Because this is, unfortunately, I don't think it was common, but it was certainly something that was done more than once. Yeah, um, he, he to, mentions. To wives. Yeah, he mentions that the, the laws were ambiguous enough that this could happen. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the fact that Charles couldn't get it done uh, was owed almost entirely to Tuke. Wow. By stepping in and saying, I just I just can't let this one slide. Well, this is how you get those funny. Well, they're funny today. They're really not funny in context. <laughs> but those funny lists of uh, reasons people were put in asylums yes. from back in or women specifically. And uh -huh. it's stuff like, I mean, like she's tired. Or right, like yeah. she had an orgasm once or whatever. <laughs> like it's just like the most ridiculous shit. She told me she had a bad day once. <laughs> Outrageous. How could she? Something must be terribly wrong with her brain. Mm. Now, Professor John Bowen writes, quote, It's a gaslighting story, manipulating someone into doubting their own sanity. And it's also a story about professionals standing up against the rich and powerful. Well, so, good for you, Thomas Tuke. Big ups to Thomas Tuke. Yeah. Now, all of this drama between them was reaching ahead in 1857 when Mr. Fairy Tales mm -hmm. showed up on Dickens' doorstep. Charles, at this point, was already trying to scheme his way out of his own marriage. Plus, he had just gotten a bunch of bad reviews on his serial Little Dorrit, and money was actually kind of tight for them, which he also blamed his wife for. Sounds a lot like throwing a little temper tantrum <laughs> on somebody's lot. <laughs> but in addition to those personal problems, he was also dealing with this recently deceased friend of his and the play that he was putting on in his honor. Mm -hmm. Then, to make matters worse... There was an actress in that play. Her name was Nellie Turnin. And of course, Dickens fell head over heels in love with this girl. Uh-oh. I mean, he was 45 and rich and powerful and producing a play. And she was an 18-year-old actress. So, you know, tale as old as plays, I guess. <laughs> now, it's Victorian England. And divorce, obviously, is a crazy idea, especially for someone as prominent as Charles Dickens, right? right? So... 
he wasn't quite sure how to get away from his wife so that he could hang out with his actress instead without it being a whole big scandal. But he was definitely trying to. He wrote in a letter to a friend of his at the time, quote, Poor Catherine and I are not made for each other. What is now befalling, I have seen steadily coming. Every year she gets older. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> She's no longer made for me. <laughs> Ever since I noticed she wasn't a teenager anymore, <laughs> I've seen this coming. I just couldn't bring myself to touch her body. I love that. They're like, I've been seeing this steadily coming. Like, you know, I, maybe no one else expected it when I have repeated several times that I want her out of my life and tried to have it committed to an insane asylum. Okay. <laughs> but actually, I think this has been coming for a while now, surprisingly hmm. enough. Now, some have speculated that there was an affair between Dickens and Nellie at this time, like physical yeah. affair. But if there was, it was kept very quiet. Right, right. Uh, speculation station. I mean, Hans Christian Andersen is hanging out with them and Dickens is probably worried that he's going to blow the whole thing up, right? <laughs> he's like, like just oh no. Something about your nonsense mm -hmm. is going to end up, a curtain's going to get pulled down and I'm going to be caught red-handed with my hands on Nellie's boobs. <laughs> like, something. Somehow I know you're going to ruin this for me. Where's the Dickens farce he could have written out of oh this? Oh my God. <laughs> At any rate, Anderson seemed to be totally oblivious to this Dickens family feud while he was there in 1857, and only seemed to learn about their situation a year after he stayed with them. But the fallout would hit the obliviously sweet Danish author pretty hard, and we will hear more about that right after this. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. 
Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Now, over the years after Anderson's visit, he had sent Dickens a few more packages. You know, copies of his books with heartwarming, handwritten dedications inside. Oh, that's very sweet. But Dickens neither read them nor responded. Wow. Do you think he just got them and, like, threw them in a fire? Like, he didn't even open them? Yeah. That would be sad. Anderson, Jens writes, was quite simply frozen out. And despite knowing his behavior was not the best, Hans was really surprised to be completely ignored by this guy that he thought of as a hero and a friend. But as we said, Dickens was going through his own stuff at the time. Um, He did separate from his wife, Catherine, officially, although it was kept quiet. And while the exact cause is unknown, rumors swirled around Victorian England about who and what and why, and lots of people had their own version of the story. It's almost as if all these Victorian British folks who are like wound up so tight and mm-hmm. can't share anything or say anything are desperately thirsty for rumors to spread okay, around and will go absolutely insane. Like it's a drop of blood in a shark tank. They hear the <laughs> slightest thing. They go running in. Mary, did you hear? Charles had an emotion today. <laughs> My God, call the queen. It's all over the papers. <laughs> well, way back in the day when Charles and Catherine were first courting each other before their marriage, Catherine's little sister, Mary Hogarth, was always hanging around with them. Mm -hmm. And when Charles and Catherine got married, Mary came to live with them. This was super strange in Victorian England for a a young single teenage girl to come live with a newlywed couple, Mm. like kind of cramp their style. That wasn't good for anyone. Yeah. Kind of strange. But she really helped out around the house. They both loved having her there, especially 
when Catherine got pregnant for the first time. Mm. And Charles Dickens really took a shine to young Mary. He called her, quote, an intimate friend, a privileged sister, and a domestic companion. Hmm. Philip Ellingham of Lakehead University says that Dickens was truly obsessed with her and used her as inspiration for some of his characters, such as Rose Maley in Oliver Twist, Kate in Nicholas Nickleby, and Agnes in David Copperfield, which are all, you know, some of his strongest female characters right, right. You know, in his works. Dickens even trusted Mary's opinion of his writing more than his wife Catherine's, as Allingham writes, quote, trusting that her observations and reactions represented those of the common reader. Huh. Unlike Catherine, who's just my wife. She's so lazy, uh -huh. sitting around having six more kids than I asked for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but maybe that wasn't really a dig. Like, maybe he's like, well, you're yeah, classy lady. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Mary's like younger. She's, you know. Oh, for sure. You know, represents the regular folk or mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. But when Mary was only 17 and after living with them for only a year, she died suddenly from unknown causes, probably heart failure or stroke. Dickens wrote, quote, she died in my arms and the very last words she whispered were of me. He took a ring from her finger and he wore it for the rest of his life. He visited her grave so often that other visitors in the cemetery thought he was her actual brother. Now, there is tons of research out there on just how big of an impact Mary Hogarth had on Dickens' writings and characters throughout his life, because she was definitely a number one influence on him going forward. Oh, man, yeah. They even named their first daughter Mary. Oh, wow. Apparently at his insistence. Oh. Yeah. Um, I also like that. You know, she died in my arms and her very last words she whispered were of me, which, you know, according to him. Right. But also, I think Allingham writes, like, given Charles Dickens' kind of egocentricity, it <laughs> wouldn't be surprising if her last words were of him, because he probably made every conversation about himself, <laughs> even with someone who's dying. He's like, Mary, don't leave me. Don't you know what that would do to me? Yeah. And she's like, you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Mary, Mary, are you okay? Can you tell me what you think of this paragraph here? <laughs> Before you go, quick. Love it. <laughs> and look, throughout Dickens's life, it was very often young women that intrigued him and ended up being the model for characters in his books. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't get into all of them, but there was a number of teenage girls that he kind of had obsessions with. Hmm. No matter how much older he got. It's very, um, very Matthew McConaughey. Days <laughs> confused, right? That's what I love about influences on my work. I keep getting older. <laughs> they stay the same age. But historian Michael Slater writes that Dickens' own wife, Catherine, the woman he loved, the woman he married, the woman who birthed 10 children with him, mm -hmm. the woman he lived with for 22 years, quote, appears to have had less impact on his deepest imagination and art than any of the other women who hold an important place in his emotional history. Mm. So she's just not not worthy of inspiring him somehow. I kind of wonder what then got them together or if it was just the very fact that she was his wife that made him think, you know, oh, well, no, you're not that kind of special. You're not that kind of woman. You're just a wife. Yes, I was about to say well, yeah. a wife and mother, not mysterious, uh -huh. not exciting, maybe. Yep. Or that like he liked these attachments that couldn't lead to something necessarily oh, like sure. his like his wife's sister or something. Yeah. 
it gave him maybe that energy or or something uh-huh. and made him imagine things that sure. were, weren't real. You sure. know, whereas Catherine's real. She's right there. He can sleep with her anytime. Like there's no mystery to her yeah. for him, which says to me that he doesn't maybe didn't explore her very much. <laughs> right. Because I bet she had more going on in her brain than he was given a credit for. But who knows? Maybe she's a big dummy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at some point they fell in love, right? And got married. Right. She had something going for her. Yeah. Maybe her worst, the worst thing she could have done was say yes. If she had never said yes, he would be obsessed with her his whole life, maybe. But we can see that pattern continue because 20 years after Mary's death, this 18-year-old actress, Nellie Ternan, was now Charles Dickens' new focus and inspiration. And his attention drifted even further from his wife at this point. In 1858, the year after Anderson left Gad's Hill in tears, Charles and Catherine Dickens separated. Now, we don't know exactly why, but the main rumor is that one day Catherine got a little package in the mail and she opened it up. And what was inside but a beautiful bracelet. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. With a note. Aw. For the teenage actress, Nellie Turnin. What? Uh, what? The jeweler had accidentally delivered it to the wrong lady. Oopsie doodle. <laughs> Which, I mean, in the jeweler's defense... Charles Dickens I mean, says, I bought this beautiful bracelet. Send it to my to my lover. And mm-hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, I know her. Yeah, sure, Catherine. I'll bring it by. <laughs> Everyone knows Catherine. <laughs> Isn't this a plot in Love Actually? <laughs> oh, my God. It, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, this was just the nail in the coffin for Catherine, who, like, just couldn't take it anymore. Right. You know, you could try to put me in an asylum, but this is too far, <laughs> sir. A bracelet. A bracelet. How dare you? Let me throw out, also, Catherine Dickens. Uh, famously had this badass snake bracelet. Cool. It's like in a museum in England somewhere. I saw some pictures of it, but it's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's Victorian England. Their separation was kept as quiet as possible. But rumors started to circulate that Dickens and Turnin were having an affair, which Dickens ardently denied, saying, quote, All the lately whispered rumors are abominably false. Whosoever repeats them after this denial will lie as willfully, as foully as it is possible for any false witness to lie before heaven and earth. Wow. What a claim. Is this some of that flourish that means insincerity that we heard about earlier? Because <laughs> right? that's what it sounds like to me. He's a little, <laughs> a little too upset. It is weird to, like, to, to come out and say, it didn't happen. And now that I've said that, mm-hmm. if you say it did happen, you're obviously lying because I already said it didn't. Oh, well. It's not the foolproof defense you think it is, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You're definitely the most reliable narrator of your own <laughs> life, sir. Now, this drama persisted for years because, of course, things moved more slowly back then. It took a couple weeks to reach a publication, <laughs> right? But meanwhile, in 1860, so just uh, about two years after the separation, Silly old Hans Christian Andersen published a book in Germany about his travels, and it was called From der Heart und der Welt. (laughs) Und der Welt. And this book included a little story titled A Visit with Charles Dickens. Biographer Jens Andersen calls the writing, quote, a naive and sentimental portrait of his visit with Charles Dickens that was just about Oh, the the happy time that he had with all this big happy family in jolly old England. Oh. (laughs) But it's hard to say if Hans was just, you know, obliviously naive about his time there, or if he had deliberately fictionalized this story as sort of like a name-droppy tale about how he and one of the world's most 
famous authors spent a lovely summer together. You <laughs> and know? he laughed at my jokes. Yes. <laughs> and he loved me. One time he took me into dinner on his arm. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> he said I was very handsome. <laughs> so it's just kind of weird behavior from Hans to publish this story. Again, is he making it all up or is right. he just oblivious? Right. And it's not unlike Hans to completely miss the point that he was the one who made Charles Dickens hate him, right? I mean, again, we know that he doesn't exactly pick up on social cues. Right. But he also spent the rest of his life really confused as to why Dickens never talked to him again. Well, the story about his time at Dickens' house went far and wide. Mm. And the European press, and by now even the Americans, we're all drooling over this salacious Dickens drama of his affair with a young actress. So when this hunky-dory story about the idyllic time Anderson had with the beautiful Dickens family who never argued or had a single problem uh-huh. with anyone came out, it just kind of added fuel to the fire. Right, right. The, the, the contrast between right. these two stories, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like this, like, oh, perfect time with a perfect family. And everyone's, like, comparing and contrasting with the next column over, which is, like, Dickens found to in Nellie's arms. Right. Now, what's weirder still is that Hans Anderson definitely knew by this point that things were not going great for the Dickens family. In fact, some had even tried to pin the blame on him for the Dickens marriage falling apart. Wow. The novelist B.S. Ingman wrote, quote, I suppose I ought not say this, but Dickens and his wife lived together just fine until Anderson came to visit. <laughs> oh. Anderson is supposed to be so harmless, yet he's quite awful. He's caused thousands of troubles with women. Whenever he stays here, I fear for my wife. It will end with her running off with him. Come here, Lucy. Let me hold on to you. Like <laughs> <laughs> this Mick Sweeney's article that he's right, writing yeah, about exactly. Hans Christian right. Anderson. Like <laughs> these were mostly silly accusations. I mean, the 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 timing was kind of right. odd. That as soon as Anderson left this this famous visit, mm-hmm. Dickens' marriage fall, fell apart. Right. But either way, the association between Anderson and their separation was just locked in. Everyone thought those two things happened concurrently right but anderson clearly must have been aware that there was some drama going on while he was there uh because later his publisher even wrote him a letter in which he says that charles dickens had degraded himself with this alleged affair and hans himself wrote a letter to his old buddy edward collin we learned about in the previous episode and he told him quote I have much to tell you and your wife about Dickens and his family life. I don't care to put what is wholly private on paper. You never know what might be printed over the course of time. So he straight up knew there was some dirty details Uh going around. And to that point, Charles Dickens himself was extremely private. In fact, he notoriously burned all of his letters. On the other hand, Hans Christian Andersen actually specifically requested that all of his letters be published after he died. So uh, very different approaches to what, you know, uh, privacy meant to the two of them, right? So not only had Hans Christian Andersen barged in on Dickens' home and disrupted his family at a very difficult time, he then went back and, like, put his whole family on blast in this, like, weird idealized fiction about his time there. So obviously Charles Dickens was extremely offended like th- about this. He's yeah. like, you can't just go out and talk about your time in my personal private home. Right. 
published that. I mean, like literally this story was huge and royals were reading it in different countries all over Europe. Right. So that kind of explains to me why Dickens never wanted to talk to him again. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. He's like, that's not anybody's business. Uh-huh. But also Anderson wrote the most lovely things about Catherine Dickens. Oh. He said she had, quote, big, gentle eyes and a good-natured smile. Mm. And he repeatedly compared her to Dickens' best female characters in his novels, like Agnes in David Copperfield, which we know Dickens based on Catherine's little sister Mary and not Catherine herself. Oh, that must have really got under his skin. No, not her! (laughs) (laughs) Right. So if that didn't piss Charles off enough, it also screwed up his divorce proceedings because he's in court trying to paint Catherine as this incompetent wife and mother. I mean, while there's this story going around, talking about, oh, she's just the loveliest lady. <laughs> she's wonderful. Her kids love her. <laughs> Everything's great. Damn. Dickens was already cutting his actual friends out of his life for siding with Catherine and his separation. So it's. Really no wonder that he spent the rest of his life completely ignoring the Danish children's author that he never really wanted to get to know in the first place. Right. <laughs> you wonder if Catherine's lawyers loved that oh, piece being oh, yeah. published. It was like, oh, she's an incompetent mother, huh? Well, hmm. Hans Christian Andersen says she's the bomb. Exhibit A. Yes. Now, the English themselves were so thirsty for this drama that Andersen's book was, as Jens calls it, quote, like manna from heaven. <laughs> Like, oh, my God, you couldn't have asked for a better book drop. Tell me more. During this divorce, right? (laughs) His Dickens family story was published in the magazine Bentley's Miscellany with an editorial attached that basically was saying like, oh, wow, very bizarre that Dickens says his wife is such a monster while Anderson is out here saying what a lovely family they are. But they also said. Well, also, Hans Christian Andersen sucks because how dare he spill the tea on this family's private life? Now we have no choice but to publish it for everyone to read. I love that. (laughs) Like, oh, look at all these dirty details and how dare you share them with us, Hans Christian Andersen. Anyway, here they are published in our magazine across the world. We are running 5,000 copies of them right now. (laughs) It's almost like that meme with Mac from Always Sunny. He's like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. Where? (laughs) (laughs) Where? (laughs) Hans Christian Andersen, how dare you say these things? Uh, Can we get that in writing, please? (laughs) Well, during a five-month trip across Switzerland and Germany, Andersen spoke about and did readings from A Visit with Charles Dickens. But he was also really mopey around this time. He wrote, quote, I am dejected. I wish to die and yet to live. I have no desire to be here at home, and yet I don't feel happy anywhere else. I feel as if I had thrown myself into the sea to let the waves carry me, but once again, they have carried me back to my own shores. Why? Ugh, I feel that. Oh, that is so relatable. That's one of my favorite quotes of his. He's just like, I'm not happy at home, but I don't want to leave. I want to die, but I don't want to be dead. Right. (laughs) I just want to be dead for like a couple days. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I definitely feel that. I'm like, we should have a day where we could just be suspended in like an a nether dimension or something where nothing we do or say matters and nothing has any effect on, uh-huh. on us. <laughs> we have effect on nothing. Yeah, if only there was like a one to two year period where no one required <laughs> anything of me and if I, I could just stay at home um, and not associate with anyone, surely I'd get a lot of work done surely, in that time, right? Yeah. Finally write I my mean, novel. I don't count it because <laughs> I feel like 
we were still had a lot of oh, expectations. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that was a very stressful time. It was not a free time. No. Now, Nellie Turnin and Charles Dickens never married, nor were they public about their affair. But she served as inspiration for characters like Lucy Manette in A Tale of Two Cities and Estelle Havisham in Great Expectations. There's not much evidence of their affair, as they were both careful not to document it. And like we said, Dickens was a notorious letter burner. Mm. So if he did write or anything, it got consigned to the flames. Yes. <laughs> but when he died in 1870, Dickens left Nellie Turnin 1,000 pounds. Mm. Which is worth about a hundred and seventy thousand U.S. dollars today. Not bad. Mm, not shabby. He also gave her a trust fund income to ensure that she would never have to work again. Okay. Oof. How can do I, I get Charles Dickens to fall in love with me? I know. I was like, can I please have a short affair with a guy who decides to set me up on life? <laughs> oh, right. But Charles Dickens' death was even harder on Hans Christian Andersen. He wrote in his diary, quote. On the evening of the ninth, Charles Dickens died, as I read in tonight's newspaper. So we will never meet again on this earth, nor speak to each other. I won't receive an explanation from him as to why he never answered my later letters. <sighs> Which, again, is kind of weird that Charles Dickens died, and Hans Christian Andersen's first thing is like, well, now he's never going to answer my question. I mean, but they're both a little self-centered, I guess. They definitely are. That's what's so weird about these two. I mean, I really think there should be like a, a Will Ferrell, John C. Riley comedy <gasps> about the two of them. Hilarious. Because <laughs> they're such an odd... And they, they, or it feels like Tommy Boy or something, mm. where you've got this like sweet dope mm -hmm. and this like, kind of hardened intellectual yeah. that just can't get along. But the dope is so, like, loving. He's like, I just want us to be best friends forever. <laughs> and the other guy's like, I don't have time for you. I'm busy. I have work, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's just such a story there. But, yeah, no, it's not like Hans Christian Andersen wasn't the most annoying guy in the world during all this. <laughs> I think he would be very hard to be friends with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the last story. Like, he's just... His emotions are so intense and he doesn't understand them himself. Right. So if he likes you, I don't think he knows the difference between like and love. Maybe not. You know, I think if once he like really feels feelings for someone in any way, he's like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. I need this all the time. Right. Never leave my side. We're destined to be together forever. And you're like, well, how about we're we just like each other and we're. Yeah, we're just friends. We're, 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 we just have a good time. Right. Or. All right, fine. Do you want to have sex? And he's like, disgusting. Ah. How dare you suggest such a thing? I'm going to go home and plus, 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 plus. Uh, so super, just just a weird, bizarre relationship between the two of them. I mean, you can see that insensitively sensitive is a good yeah. description. Yeah. Because he was just so wrapped up in his own feelings. Yeah. And he's like doesn't seem to care how they affect other people or right. like I, I you know he's not self-reflective enough to say oh i am imposing my sensitivities onto yes. people in places where it's not appropriate and i need to learn how to like rein it in save it for a friend or a, pr a private space or whatever because it's just not it, it's just like ricocheting off other people and causing yeah. problems it's the perfect storm of incompatibilities because mm -hmm. obviously dickens in this victorian british society is really bad at being direct right and um thinks that well obviously you're gonna pick up on my very subtle 
suggestions and gestures, mm-hmm. right? And on the other hand, you've got a guy who's, like we said, very childish, uh, needs things kind of spelled out for him to begin with, but also always seems to kind of have his fingers in his ears. Like, la, la, yeah. la, I didn't hear the part that I should have heard. Yes. So between those two things, there was never going to be a clear line of communication between the two of them. No. Right? And Charles Dickens, he was just too cool, you know, in Hans's eyes. Right. He's like, I, I have to be around you all the time. Um, you see, I guess- To the point where he even ignored the fact that this guy was a dick. This right. guy was an asshole. He's being a jerk. Yeah. You can see why Jenny Lind was maybe the most successful because she is very like, you're my brother. Yeah. We are as siblings. Yep. I love you like a brother. Uh-huh. Ooh, <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> like, it's true. She really hammered it home for him. <laughs> it's true. Boy, yeah. I mean, Jenny Lind, Edward Collins, and even some stories we'll get into in the next Hans Christian Anderson episode, a lot of them just very indirect with him. Um, but he seemed like a guy that it was hard to be direct with. Yeah, I, so, I see that. Yeah. So going to quickly say another thank you to Arvid Gomez for this suggestion because it was awesome. But also when he reached out about it, he mentioned this like game that someone had made about uh-huh. Hans Christian Andersen. And what was so funny about that is that I had already seen that on my Twitter account uh-huh. and uh, saved it so, to play one day, maybe. Um, and so if you're interested in playing this game, please check it out. Um, it's someone on Twitter named Oliver Darkshear uh-huh. at Death by Badger. He made a like a tabletop RPG, like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of game where you try you're Charles Dickens and you're trying desperately to get Hans <laughs> Christian Andersen out of your house. And it is so funny. Like the options are great. So anyway, check that out. It's super, super funny. It is it's really totally funny. worth a look. Now, look, uh, like we said before, there's just so much more to tell about Hans Christian Andersen. I mean. I, I never dreamed in a million years that we'd look into this story and find so many love stories for a guy who never even had sex his whole life. Right. But we've got to come back to it because, like, for example, this guy was paraded around Paris by authors like Balzac and Alexandre Dumas and even Victor Hugo. And all these guys were out there just trying to get him laid. Ha! Huh? Amazing. Victor Hugo's like, you've never done what? I have done it 18 times today. Well, we talked in our show before about how these this era, these authors were like up to their faces in boobies. Yes. Right? Like they were always getting laid. So Hans Christian Andersen, definitely the standout here. Yeah. Uh, he also fell in love with the sister of a friend of his who fell in love back with him, huh. but she was already engaged. So that wasn't going to work out. And then he also loved this Grand Duke. They had a really passionate story together that ended in war, basically, is what separated them. Uh, He also fell in love with this dancer who maybe loved him back. We're not really sure. Uh, And then a young friend of his who had a very similar end to Edward Cullen as where, you know, he just never really was straightforward with Hans Mm -hmm. that I don't like you like that, but I love you as a friend. Mm -hmm. So there's just... So much more to tell. Of course, Hans was totally Hans about it every single time. <laughs> uh, we're just going to have to get into all that in our next episode. Just going to have to get a Hans on all that. Uh, Hans? Wow. I tried. I don't think you did. No. <laughs> uh, it was a, an attempt. Look, if Hans, we were... Hans. A Hans Like a hand. Like we're trying like to get a, a handle handle. on that. We're going to get a handle on that. Okay. Does that If work? we were doing the composer Handel. Damn. That'd be great. All right, I'll save it for Handel. Save it for Handel. <laughs> if there's any story in Handel's life. Uh-huh. No, but I'm super excited 
uh, to get more into Hans Christian Andersen. Thank you again, Arvid, for sending him our way. This right. Is clearly a rich well to draw from. I know. I saw Lifelong Virgin and thought there wouldn't be much to say. Nope. And we've got three episodes out of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so stay tuned. I hope everyone enjoys their holidays. Yeah. Um, but could just go forth and be merry, whatever you're doing this week. Yeah. And we hope you enjoyed this episode as we always do. We love hearing from you. Reach out to us, ridicromance at gmail.com. That's right. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I myself am at Oh Great It's Eli. I'm at Dianamite Boom. And the show is at Ridicromance. And we will see you next time. Love you. Bye. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.